Our Old Testament uh, scripture lesson is Genesis 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruits. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now please turn with me to our second lesson from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 4. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Man does not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, until an opportune time. Now our third and final lesson from the book of Romans, chapter 5. We hear verses 12 through 19. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord's Day 3. Question 6. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? No. God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Question 7. Then where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. Question 8. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Well, as we begin here today, I want to just note something at the very outset about our doctrine of man. Our doctrine of man. There are some fun, fancy Latin words that are oftentimes used coming from Augustine of Hippo. I'll, I'll spare you those. But I do want to just sketch out for you briefly what's oftentimes referred to as the fourfold state of human nature. The fourfold state of human nature. And it helps us to place our catechism, Lord's Day, into context here. So on one hand, in the garden, you have the image of God. And in the garden, you have man who was created holy and upright, but able to sin. Able to sin. With the fall of man, human nature then became corrupt. In our sin, we are not able not to sin. We have to sin. Not able not to sin. That's all we do. Before God, at least. We can do some earthly good before one another, but before God, not able not to sin. With the new birth, as we see in question 8 of our Lord's Day, Christians are then brought into a position where we are able not to sin. Right? So we begin with able to sin in the garden, not able not to sin with the fall. Now we are able not to sin. Then the fourth, in glory, we will be not able to sin. Not able to sin. So there's a fourfold state that's oftentimes become the starting place to speak about the doctrine of sin 
and to think about human nature as image of God in this way that we have this very teaching in Scripture to think about human nature, human nature before the fall, human nature after the fall, human nature as Christians, and what will then human nature be in glory, whereas question six speaks about living with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory there, not able uh, to sin. So I want to sketch that out at the very uh, outset. When we think here about narrowing in now on the image and likeness of God, there are a few things I'd like to mention in, with respect to the image in uh, creation. The image in creation should be understood to have a moral positivity to it. We were not neutral. There are some who might <clears throat> express mankind being a blank slate. We were neither bad nor good. But when we think about God's verdict at the end of Genesis 1 of very good, when we think about the implication of that toward his own image bearer, how can he give that verdict toward his image bearer unless we actually bore his image, which is a good and righteous image, right? The implication is clear. In the Garden of Eden, we bore a positively upright Image. We were, we were inclined toward goodness, inclined toward love of God and neighbor. When we think then about uh, this image having a positive morality to it, we're also thinking about ourselves being rational creatures, of course, this being part and parcel of being the image of God. We should also note as well that there is a functional calling for the image of God, which we saw there at the end of Genesis 1. We are not merely called to be something. We are also called to do something. God in Genesis 1 is very active. He is creative. He is forming things. He is filling things. He is naming things. He is blessing things. And so then, after God is so active and he then creates an image bearer, we should then understand that we're not merely called to be something, but to do something, to reflect God to the world around us. Forming things, filling things, naming things. Naming is an act of authority. Blessing things. We want to think about the image of God as having a moral positivity, a spiritual component. We're rational. We have a soul as well. Not merely body, but also soul. Um, as a side note, I don't think that it's terribly helpful to, to read in Genesis 2 that language of God breathing into man the breath of life as being an impartation of a soul per se, because it also describes the animals as having the breath of life. And so it probably just means making them a living creature. Okay? However, the intimacy God has with man there has certainly um, an implication for us to think about his special creation and special care of mankind. And then we especially learn about our, the fact that we have a spirit or soul later and clearly in Scripture. I don't know that so much there in Genesis 2. So, when we think about the image in creation, we have a body, we have a soul, we have a moral positivity to us, and we have a functional calling. 
The fall of man then brings consequences that are almost impossible to overstate. All of who we are in creation then becomes morally defiled. Morally defiled. Okay. Our fall, as we see in the book of Romans, is a fall with respect to sin and corruption. It's not that you became less of a human. You're still a true human. The problem is you're now a corrupted human, morally speaking. Okay? This is clarified because in some traditions, they, want to sp- they almost describe us as becoming um, not just like an animal, but basically an animal. And that's not helpful. Um, we want to affirm that we are still in the image of God per the epistle of James, yet we are morally corrupt now. We're morally corrupt. A few things to note about that moral corruption and Adam. Adam sinned, and as Romans 5 teaches us, there's one trespass, one act, that then leads to condemnation for the whole multitude, right? We're thinking about original sin here as having two components as we begin to theologically splice this. There is the act of imputation of Adam's sin. His one act becomes your act. You didn't actually do that, but he was your representative. And so therefore, because he's our federal head, his act becomes your act. It wasn't even so much Eve's act. It was his act as our federal head. So his sin then becomes imputed to us our sin. Anyone of natural progeny from Adam and woman is imputed his one act. But then with that imputation comes a consequent corruption, as I've mentioned already. That we become as those under God's curse and given over then to sin in which we find ourselves in Adam And therefore we become not only imputed his sin and therefore guilty, but also corrupt in ourselves. Again, this is a moral corruption. This is a moral corruption. And so in that we then speak about us being spiritually dead. A state in which we then find ourselves after the fall. When we now begin to move into our third point, think about the image being restored in us, I want to begin by speaking about the second Adam. Boys and girls, I want you to pay special attention to this because it's a language you're going to hear me use in my sermons often. I'm not only going to speak about the first Adam, I'm also going to speak about a second Adam. Okay? Now, when I say a second Adam, I'm not acting like he's actually named Adam, right? That's not the point. But he's called the second Adam because he becomes our representative. Just like the first Adam, who was named Adam, was our representative, okay? So think about this. The first Adam did something, right? Did he do something good or bad? Bad, right? Really bad. And so what he did 
becomes ours because he's our representative. He's the first Adam, okay? Now, when the second Adam comes, here's my question for you. Let me see your thumb, up or down. Did the second Adam do something good or bad? The second Adam. Thumbs up? Yes, thumbs up. He did something good. And so then, because Jesus did something good for us, Jesus, our second Adam, his goodness, his action, comes to you. In the same sort of way that the first Adam's bad action became yours, the second Adam's good action becomes yours. Okay? But there's more. Just like those um, infomercials, but there's more, right? But there's more, okay? When the first Adam's sin became yours, boys and girls, it's not just that sin became yours, but you became a sinner. You became corrupt inside. How many of you boys and girls recognize that you have some sinful thoughts every once in a while? Can I see a show of hands? Ever have any sinful thoughts? I do. You ever say anything sinfully that's bad? Yeah, for sure. We say stuff all the time, don't we? That comes because we have a sinful nature. Okay? So when we talk about Adam and original sin, we're talking about his action becomes yours, and then you then have a bad nature. Okay? But I mention that not to make you sad, but to help you understand the second Adam. Because not only did he do good stuff that becomes yours, he sends you the Holy Spirit so you start to become good again from the inside out. We call that sanctification. So, as we begin to think there about the second Adam, Jesus, we begin to think about how we are being restored in the image of God. Because not only have we been justified, his works credited to us, as the consequence of that, logically, we are also then sanctified to become more and more like him inside and out. We begin to act like him, the Holy Spirit working through us to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to be renewed in true righteousness and holiness. So the image is being restored. So, beloved, as we think today about this restoration, we're focusing on some of the goodness of things. But uh, let me just close with this, reminding us of the uh, part of the catechism in which we find ourselves, the first section of sin and of guilt. All these things, all this mighty work of Jesus, the Son of God becoming second Adam, necessary because of how pervasive our corruption is. We cannot save ourselves we cannot do anything ourselves to save ourselves. And so God, the eternal Son, had to take flesh and blood for us, becoming the second Adam, to impute his righteousness to us, and then to transform us from inside out. May God write these things upon our hearts. Amen.